Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters. I'm Paul Duncan. And I'm Scott B. Bomar. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Songcraft, please take a moment right now to subscribe to our show via Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also hear streaming episodes on Spotify. To receive a bi-weekly email with new episode announcements, sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com. You can also keep up with us via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for one word, Songcraft Show. To find out more about how you can help support our mission while getting access to bonus content, exclusive contests, and other extras, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. You're listening to Dancing in the Streets, a true American classic co-written by Ivy Joe Hunter, Marvin Gaye, and our guest on this episode of Songcraft, William Mickey Stevenson. Mickey will join us later in the show to talk about his career as Motown Records' first A&R man and some of the hits he wrote, including Beechwood 45789, Stubborn Kind of Fellow, Devil with a Blue Dress On, It Takes Two, and many others. Part One. So anyone who listens to this show knows that uh, one of our best songcraft friends is Justin at Pearl Snap Studios. And uh, Justin is a sponsor of the show. And um, I recently heard um, from a conversation that I was not privy to, but the person who was talking to Justin shared it with me and said that um, Justin was, was saying that he gets a lot of submissions. He gets a lot of songs sent to him yeah. from all over the country, maybe all over the world um, for uh, him I to... I think the galaxy. Maybe the galaxy. Yeah. You know, actually, there was that recent photo of the black hole. I think maybe there's maybe some stuff coming from there too. I'm not sure. There's a photo um, of my little studio. <laughs> but um, but Justin said, you know, uh, that he actually um, has noticed that things that come to him from Songcraft listeners, things that our listeners submit to him to create um, professional demos out of, that um, there is a noticeable consistency of quality amongst really yeah amongst the uh the songcraft uh listeners so i think that that says something about what these interviews are doing and how they're making uh an impression on songwriters that people are are learning stuff from these conversations so i thought it was cool to to hear about that and it makes me really proud of the songcraft (laughs) family right i just want to say to all of you that are listening you're doing us proud man the songs you're turning in are turning heads (laughs) are people they're tickling ears right you guys are doing a good job out there nice so keep it up nice and anyone who hasn't yet sent a song in to pearl snap studios if you've got something that you want to get recorded give it a try I, i think anyone who who has done so can attest that that justin does a great job yeah um, the guy can play any instrument he puts his hands on he can right. sing he can record this stuff mix it master it and get it you know you know pretty much ready to go on the radio but all you're going to need him to do is pitch it right um and it's going to be more than competitive i can tell you that you just gotta send him your your uh your tape yeah just get like a memorex cassette tape um put it in <laughs> a, a padded envelope i think you'll probably need about 60 to 70 stamps <laughs> Uh, to put on there I'm not sure you, you probably just want to weigh it if you have like a grain scale right or something uh, you don't have to do any of that you can submit you can submit your stuff online through the computer if you have computers. like a, a Macintosh they're, they're cutting edge on the, they got the computers yeah just like stop playing Oregon Trail for a second <laughs> And find out if you have an internet browser. <laughs> Ask Jeeves how to get... Dial up <laughs> to uh, get your modem going. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, but pearlsnapstudios.com. That's where you get all your information. Uh, no padded envelope or, or two-inch <laughs> tape necessary. Um, so, yeah, give it a try. Justin's going to do a great job, I promise. And if you let him know that uh, Songcraft sent you, he'll also hook you up with a good deal. Yep. You have what we like to call the Songcraft guarantee. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> you know, speaking of friends of the show, um, we also talk a lot about our Patreon page and the people who participate in Patreon are our patrons. Yep. And we have a new patron who has quickly become our top patron. Our rock star give, patron. Yeah, our rock star patron. It's the timeless standard uh, tier. And I want to give a shout out to Tommy Smith, um, who has now become capital F friend of the show, Tommy Smith. <laughs> um, and as anyone that goes to patreon.com backslash songcraft show knows, um, all you got to do is make a monthly pledge and there's lots of kind of rewards and, and gifts and things like that that we like to give back. And Tommy, my friend, you have... He's going to get some stuff. You have the ultimate Songcraft care package coming <laughs> your way. We've got to get in contact with you and figure out how to um, how to hook you up. But yeah. um, I think you get to... We're going to come and detail your car. I think that's one <laughs> of the things... Um, on a hot day, we I, will bring uh, large uh, palm fronds to to uh, wave in front of you and yeah. cool you down. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Is that part of the deal? I'm, I'm pretty sure that's part of the deal. I mean, there were a couple of things we threw out, but I think that that one stayed in. <laughs> um, we're going to give you a pedicure. It, it's going to be amazing. So um, seriously, though, Tommy, uh, we are going to be in touch with you and, uh, you know, so thanks, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, if you go to patreon.com slash songcraft show, you can, for as little as $2 a month, um, help support the mission of the show. Um, and there's multiple tiers. And uh, as Paul mentioned, you can go all the way up to Tommy status if you're uh, if you're so inclined. Yep. Um, and check out some of the things that, uh, that you get in return. But uh, most importantly, it just allows you to become a uh, partner with us. Yep. A friend of the show. We're using that uh, friend term a lot friend today. But friend of the show. And it allows you to uh, help support our mission of preserving and presenting these uh, yeah. conversations so that you can, uh, the people out there can can learn to write songs that stand out uh, when they send them to Justin. Just think of all the money you used to spend on blank cassettes <laughs> and you're saving that and maybe, you know, put that towards towards Patreon. Exactly. Um, well, we are in Motown mode right now and yes, we have we been for a, a couple months. Mm -hmm. um, we did the Lamont Dozier interview for our 100th. Yeah, we did the Smokey Robinson interview around the Grammys. We went to the Motown 60th anniversary special, right. which, by the way, Patreon again, we're going to have some uh, footage, let's say, uh, photos and such. Yeah, from from that Motown 60th anniversary special that that we'll put up on the page. Little little sneak peek of yeah. of uh, of mine and Paul's uh, adventure to go watch the taping of the Motown 60 special, which will be airing on Sunday, April 21st on CBS. So watch for that. Yeah, by the way, that's Easter for all you heathens out there that didn't already know that. But, yeah, <laughs> nice. Easter Sunday. <laughs> um, but very exciting to be part of that. Uh, Valerie Simpson also uh, part of that that evening. Yep. She's a, a past uh, Songcraft guest. Um, so we're definitely celebrating what I kind of view as the continuation of the Great American Songbook. Oh, 100%. You know, the, the songs that came out of Motown are are of the utmost caliber in terms of, of long-lasting pop music that feels good 
And, yeah. you know, it's it's been really cool for us to have conversations with people, you know, like Valerie and Lamont and, and Smokey. And now this conversation with Mickey Stevenson. And, you know, we hope to bring some more Motown interviews. I'm, I'm trying yeah. to hunt down Ivy Joe Hunter, who we're going to hear about in today's uh, conversation. Um, Barrett Strong is is out there somewhere. Look forward to talking to him. And we would love to actually talk to Barry Gordy because be Barry amazing. Gordy gets interviewed a lot about being the head of Motown. But Barry Gordy was also a, a very successful songwriter. Yeah. And you don't hear a lot of um, conversations with Barry about specifically his uh, songwriting. But, you know, Lonely Teardrops by Jackie Wilson by itself yep. uh, is, and, is just incredible. And look, if we can talk to Smokey Robinson, why not we just go ahead and say we want to talk to Stevie Wonder, too? Hey, you know what? Stevie Let's... Wonder and <laughs> Lionel Richie. Absolutely. There's a lot of great uh, Motown writers that we haven't talked to yet. Lionel Richie, notably absent from the 60th anniversary yeah. Yeah. show. And I, I I wonder why that is, because I, I had read somewhere that that was going to happen, but it didn't happen. I would, I would love to know the behind the scenes stuff about Maybe that. Maybe one day we'll have the chance yeah. to, to ask him uh, ourselves. But um, yeah, I mean, some of the stuff on that show, like John Legend did a really cool... Um, tribute to Marvin Gaye. Yeah, the John Legend uh, segment was amazing. Uh, actually, he, he performed it twice. He felt yeah. like he messed up the lyrics, and yeah, it was yeah. amazing both times. He wanted to wanted to nail it. Speaking of Marvin, have you heard this unreleased Marvin record, which has now become released? Uh, no, I saw an article about it, but I didn't. I don't know much about it. The album's called "You're the Man," uh, and it was slated to to be his follow up to "What's Going On." Right. Um, it didn't come out. I think a lot of time was spent on it and they put the record together and it was ready to come out and they felt like it wasn't quite what he wanted to put out so they shelved it huh. and, and waited a little bit later and finally put out Let's Get It On. Um, so here we are around the, what would have been Marvin's 80th birthday. Right. And so they finally released this album. So I went and gave it a listen. I actually gave it a few days because yeah. I, I got really got into it. And it's really interesting, man. It's... Um, I don't know if some of it comes from the kind of conversations that we've been having has sort of tuned my ear to this type of thing, but I feel like I can hear Marvin's state of mind <laughs> while he's making the record. Um, and some of it, I think I read some reviews that were saying the same kind of thing, but the weight of having just made what's going on. Right, right. The the importance of his new role. He had mm -hmm. become a cultural spokesperson. Yeah. Um, gone from just singing love songs now to singing about, the Vietnam War, right, and to singing about poverty and to singing about you know racism in America, mm -hmm. uh, and did it just in kind of an immediately iconic fashion with yeah. what's going on. Yeah, you can feel him trying to do that, trying to wear that mantle again on right. "You're the Man," um, and there are some really really great songs. I don't think any of it reaches that sort of like immediate iconic mm. standard status which would explain i guess why they didn't release it at the time yeah it it actually is kind of interesting that they were able to detect that right away yeah because usually it takes some time to look back and say oh wow what's going on is the one that really rose to the top but right. it seems like they knew immediately that isn't uh, an incredible standard right. and i guess they felt like they had not yet reached it but um, how cool after all these years to have the uh, opportunity to hear marvin from the vaults it's I mean, it's amazing, and yeah. and I'll say this: just because it's not what's going on doesn't mean it's not awesome. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, and a lot of things aren't what's going yeah. on that are really good. Um, so I, I've had a blast listening to it, and yeah. um, even sort of like listening to it, thinking about you know 2019, and some right. of the songs are a little more on point than I wish they were. Huh. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. he's still you know talking about election cycles and whatnot, and <laughs> right. there you go. But yeah, uh, yeah. Um, 
Well, you know, it's interesting because Marvin never wanted to be an R&B singer to begin with. And uh, our guest on this episode, Mickey Stevenson, Hmm. um, had a very important role in uh, in convincing slash possibly tricking Marvin into becoming (laughs) uh, an R&B singer, which is um, something I'm excited for you to hear because you actually were not able to to be with me for this interview. You were planning to. We had it on the books, yep. and I got a text from you uh, that morning that you were uh, you were ill, and it's never been like, so sick. Sounds like you were put through the ringer. I've never been so sick, man. Uh, I'm not going to go through all the details for our listeners. You yeah, don't. Thank you. Don't, you because I heard them a minute yeah, ago. You don't pull up for this. Um, <laughs> I'm just glad that I'm here today. Yeah, that, <laughs> I'm glad you made it through, my friend. Oh. You. Uh, even the photo you sent me of uh, of just the me. look on your face yeah. of you being just so sick. You looked so uh, pitiful. I was sad for you. Yeah, but, uh, but I was up hanging out with Mickey Stevenson while you were suffering in the bed. And uh, it's a cool conversation. Yeah. And so I'm looking forward to you hearing it along with, know. Uh, with with all of our, our listeners. I've got right a now. front row seat here. Yeah. Um, so let's let's give it a listen. Let's do it. Part two. William Mickey Stevenson was hired as Motown Records' first A&R director, signing a variety of artists to the label, including the Four Tops and Stevie Wonder. He assembled the legendary Motown studio band known as the Funk Brothers and produced such Motown classics as What Becomes of the Brokenhearted and Uptight, Everything is Alright. As a songwriter, Stevenson partnered with Marvin Gaye to write the Marvelettes hit Beachwood 45789, as well as Gaye's own hit recordings of Stubborn Kind of Fellow, Hitchhike, and Pride and Joy. Mickey is perhaps best known as the co-writer of Dancing in the Street, a massive hit for his former assistant, Martha Reeves, that was written with Gay and Ivy Joe Hunter. The song was inducted into the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry and the Grammy Hall of Fame. Additional hits from the pen of Mickey Stevenson include Devil with a Blue Dress On for Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels, Ask the Lonely for the Four Tops, Nothing's Too Good for My Baby for Stevie Wonder, It Takes Two for Marvin Gaye and Kim Weston, and It Should Have Been Me for Gladys Knight and the Pips. The long list of artists who've recorded Mickey's songs includes Diana Ross, Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett, Little Richard, The Jackson Five, The Everly Brothers, Bruce Springsteen, Bonnie Raitt, Rod Stewart, Phil Collins, Tina Turner, Dusty Springfield, The Kinks, Van Halen, David Bowie, Mick Jagger, The Rolling Stones, and many others. Mickey, welcome to Songcraft. Hey, it's a joy being here with you. Well, you know, like many of Motown's major players, you grew up in Detroit. And I understand that your mom was a pretty important early influence on you in terms of kind of igniting a, a musical spark in you from a, a young age. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, my mom was uh, uh, a singer, uh-huh. a writer. She was a kunga player. Well. A uh, full entertainer, I would say. Mm-hmm. And she taught my brothers and I um, a lot about performing. Mm-hmm. She was with the Sweethearts of Rhythm, which was an all-girls group, <laughs> uh, women's group. And then she went with Todd Road and his orchestra. Mm. And they performed all over America and in Europe. And she was known as uh, Kitty Brown Gale Stevenson. <laughs> so she had a <laughs> had a reputation of really doing jazz, blues, and uh, playing the kungus with yeah. big bands. Wow. So when she got to me and my brothers and started working with us, mm-hmm. she brought a lot of knowledge from 
say not uh, R&B shows, but full production shows. Right. Worldwide, like right. kind of thing. So we had, a, when my brothers and I had a, a different approach to uh, the music business because we were dealing with jazz songs, pop songs, not gospel songs or R&B songs. We were huh. not in that place. Right. And um, she took us to the Apollo Theater hmm. on the contest. Yeah. The amateur show. Right, right. She had an opportunity to bring us in. Right. Since she knew the guy who handled the show. Yeah. And do a song as on the amateur show. But the big deal was when we were standing there watching other performers perform, mm -hmm. and we're talking, I'm like 12 years old and that sort of thing, 11, my other brother, and my other brother was like eight. Well, And to see them performing, and some of them sound terrible, they get <laughs> snatched off with a whip, with a, uh, not a whip, but a, a hook rope, right. pulled <laughs> off the stage by the Sandman who had on his huge shoes and a weird-looking outfit. And right. It was kind of scary. Right, when you were a kid, sure. Well, yeah, and we were saying, <laughs> I said to my mother, I don't want to go on. I don't. I, she says, listen, the Sandman's not going to get you. Right. Because you rehearsed your stuff. Huh. You have it down pat. So I said, okay. <laughs> so we go out and we win the contest. Wow. If you work on what you're doing, if you spend time with it, you got to come out ahead. Yeah. If yeah. you take it for granted, you got a problem coming. Right, right. Preparation and dedication is. Must is be key. in the game. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lionel Hampton is one of the great jazz musicians of all time. And I understand you actually ended up singing lead vocals with his group, the Hamptones. Um, talk a little bit about how that opportunity came about and, and maybe even in what ways that experience kind of shaped who you would become in the future as a songwriter, producer, A&R man. When I came home from the service, finding a job to do was difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, you go in a factory, in Detroit, or you, you know, you weren't getting paid the same money as everybody else. Mm -hmm. That was kind of discouraging for me. Sure. And what happened was um, the group, the Hamptons, they were looking for a lead singer. Mm -hmm. Now we all kind of went to school together in Detroit, so they knew I could sing. Sure. And they had a, another guy with them who was very good. And what happened with him was another company picked him up. So they, their lead singer for the Hamptons was snatched out because he had another better opportunity. Right. And so the three guys that were left saying, if we don't put in a fourth guy, we're going to lose the job with Lionel Hampton. Mm -hmm. So they came to me and said, man, you want to take this spot? So I said, you know, and in my position at that time, no money, nothing's happening. Yeah. I said, I'll take it, I'll take it. Right. Uh, the best part about that was I learned a lot about uh, how shows were produced sure. big time. Yeah. The lights, the sound, which was completely different than what was, what was going on in the R&B world. Sure. You know, when you work in you know, Las Vegas and, and places like that back in those days, mm -hmm. you know, you had to have a certain kind of look, certain kind of shows, certain right. kind of everything. Right. Choreography right. had to be certain ways and all that. Well, if you take that same thought and put it in the Howard Theater, it, it, it's two different ways of thinking. Sure. You know. Yeah, yeah. When I got with Barry, I brought that knowledge with me. Well, you mentioned Barry, and of course there's you know no more central figure in the Motown story than Barry Gordy. Um, tell us about how you actually first 
met Barry and then ended up becoming the very first A&R director at Motown. Well, uh, now I met, when I first met Barry, it was in a barbershop. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's called Muldoon's Barbershop. Mm-hmm. Now his name was Benny Mullen, but we had a, a, a joke. We called him Muldoon because right. he was all over the place. But he was a great <laughs> barber. Yeah. And uh, all the artists that came to Detroit, black artists, they would go to Muldoon's shop, mm-hmm. Benny Mullen's House of Styles, he called it. <laughs> right. And get your hair, you know, straightened out or whatever, waved, and yeah. he could make some waves in your hair that you can show, put a boat on, right? <laughs> and so now, what what Benny Mullins would do, he only had three chairs in that place, and so, but he had about eight or nine people, so he'd hook people up to keep them busy. So they wouldn't leave. Oh, right, right. So he could <laughs> be making introductions. <laughs> and, yeah, right, right. <laughs> so he had it all play. He had it all worked out. And you knew when you walked in there, you may think you're going to get your hair done right away, but that wasn't the case. <laughs> right. You're going to right. spend two hours in there. Yeah. Well, he introduced Barry and I, because Barry was under the same, you know, same roof. And he was saying to him, okay, man, uh, I want you to meet Mickey Stevenson. And, you know, Mickey handles all the musicians in the city, you know, the main guys. And, uh, you know, you're about to get into your own thing, man. You guys make a great, great match. Yeah. And then he told me, he said, now, Barry Gordy is the one that did those songs you like by Jackie Wilson. Hmm. So he really was plot. He was he right. had he had it down. Pat. Right, right. So I'm excited to meet him. Right. Yeah, sure. And he was rather interested in meeting me because of what his plan was. Mm-hmm. So we're laying in the chairs together. I'm in one chair and he's next to me and, and we're talking. And I said, you did Jackie Wilson. You produced that, uh, my heart is crying, lonely teardrops. Yeah. He said, yeah. I said, you wrote that song too? And uh, I said, man, I got some songs for Jackie Wilson. Yeah. Which I had. I said, you know, can you, can you take a look at these songs? And he said, well, I'm going in to finish an album on him. Mm-hmm. So I got the songs already lined up. Right. He said, but I heard about you with the musicians. We got to get together and talk because I'm going to open my own company and everything. And I'm thinking to myself, this is my chance to be a, the next Jackie Wilson. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we met, and that's what we set up for. Of course, he left, and I had to go into uh, Chicago to work with Jackie mm-hmm. in, in uh, about a couple of months before we got back together. When he came back, he uh, we had a meeting at his place. Mm-hmm. I come in to be the, I thought I was coming to be the singer, right? Right, right. You want to be an artist. I was yeah. going to be the artist. I was going to be the next Jackie Wilson. Right. And... He had me play my songs again. He said, oh, man, your music is great and all that. And I said, now, wait, let me play the one that's going to be my big record. Right. He said, your big record? <laughs> I said, yeah. So I, before he could stop talking, I, I started, if only the sky was a mirror. I was getting into my song. Right. He said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Man. <laughs> he said, now, I, I told you, your songs are good. You got some good songs here. Right. But your voice is for shit. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> That's what I said. Wait a minute. I don't have to hear this. I grabbed all my stuff off the floor, all my songs. I'm ready to get out of there, man. That was, that was, that was not the game plan. <laughs> so I'm heading for the door. He said, where you going? I said, man, I don't need this. You right. know, I come to be a star. Yeah. He said, well, I, I brought you here to, to be uh, the A&R man for the company. Hmm. And I said, A&R, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. He was worse to me. He said, I don't know, but i tell you what it's supposed to do. Right, right. <laughs> so you're going to work with the artist. 
and the singers and the writers, and we're going to make hit records. Yeah. You see, and you know how to find them, and uh, you know I've asked, you know, found out about you. You know, you got a you got a gift, right? You know, well, and so that's how we started. Wow, wow. Well, the first time we see you appearing on the Billboard chart as a songwriter uh, was in 1961 with "I Don't Want to Take a Chance," which was a top 10 R&B hit, top 40 pop hit for Mary Wells. song that you actually wrote with Barry, who, of course, as you said, it had all this songwriting success with, with Jackie Wilson. And um, Do you think the fact that, that Barry was a songwriter himself had a particular impact on shaping the culture of Motown when you guys were starting out? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would say so. Yeah. And he was wise enough to hear other writers hmm. like myself and Holland Dozier. Right. He heard they could do what he did and and better mm-hmm. yeah and that's a gift so his being a writer he already sort of had instincts for what's a, a great song well, he wrote some great yeah. songs on his own yeah you know yeah so uh yes and 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 one one thing about barry which was great and same with Smokey and and when holland knows you holland that it came with them but it, it was not afraid to write with somebody else you know there's a lot of people the egos are so huge right until they, they, it's got to be like this, it's got to be like that. Mm-hmm. And and since and since they've had success doing that, then they think that's the way it should stay forever. Right, right. Where other writers will come along, if if I, even you and I are talking, and you come up with a line that I like, I say, mm-hmm. man, that could be a song. Yeah. And I may, you say, well, you know, I I was I was writing a song like that, and you'll come up with some other lines, and we can collaborate. Right. That's that's a to me that's a great feeling. I sure. think that's a great thing to do. Right. Because you get energy. And you get other methods and ways mm-hmm. to approach a song yeah. than sticking with your own thing all the time. Yeah, two heads are better than one. Kind of. uh, yeah. And three is better than two. <laughs> right, you know what right, I'm saying? Right, right. Yeah, here we go. Sure. Well, you know, Motown is one of the few labels in history that has a recognizable sound to the label. Meaning that, you know, sometimes I'll hear a record, and I know it's a Motown record, even if I can't tell you exactly who the artist is. And such a big part of that is that great studio band that came to be known as the Funk Brothers. And I believe that you're the guy who actually assembled those house musicians. Well, let's clear up one thing. Uh, You believe that I did it. I actually did it. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's it's true. Uh, What what happened was uh, when we first started working together, when Barry and I locked the deal, at his house, Smokey was coming down the hall to talk with Barry because they had already got, got got together. Yeah. And Smokey said, "Hey, hey, BG, you got you got Mickey here." He's, now remember, we were all in the same high schools and stuff together, so yeah. we, we knew Everybody each other. We knew each other. We yeah. had he had his group and I had my group and yeah. and all yeah. that. And he said, "Man, uh, man, Mickey know all, all the musicians and everything in the city." And Barry said, "Well, he's gonna be." Um, uh, he's gonna be the NR man for the company. He said, "That's great." Then he turned right. Forget about Barry. He turned to me. Man, I got a session tomorrow, and I need a, a good bass player. Blah 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 blah. I said, right. "Okay, I got this." And so Barry said, "Well, what are you gonna do?" I said, "I got this. 
if I got this job, I got this. Yeah. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so that was the beginning of hunting for, because they had a, a little band that we were recording with. Yeah. So I started replacing the musicians then. But the bottom line is, I went all over to find musicians. Mm-hmm. At the time, we didn't have the money to pay those high studio prices and all that. Sure. So since I work with a lot of musicians personally, putting them on gigs, as mm-hmm. we say, and making sure they got paid correctly, and then uh, I would get a percentage of that, mm-hmm. and then I would make sure that the owners knew that they would be on time, blah, blah, yeah. blah, yeah. and i get a piece of that with my, my income. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, I knew the guys that could play. Yeah. Now, some I wanted to bring into Motown as musicians, but their ability for what they were doing plus the money they want to make we couldn't deal with it, and I saw egos rising yeah. that would create problems. So I said, okay, this guy's not going to work. Although mm-hmm. he was good, but he's right. not going to work with what we're doing. Right. So I had to keep searching for musicians that had the heart, mm-hmm. the want to be great, yeah. and didn't mind taking it the time and building it. Sure. But they knew that if I made a deal with you now, mm-hmm. the deal would be the deal. If yeah. I said, okay, here's what I'm paying, here's what I'm doing, you can count on that. Right. I was known for that. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, my word was my bond, as we say. Right, straight shooter. Straight shooter. Um, well, you found songwriting success again in 1962 with the top 10 R&B and top 30 pop hit Jamie by Eddie Holland, who, of course, would go on to become better known as part of Holland Dozier Holland. Um, but Jamie is notable as one of the earliest examples of strings on a Motown record. And the use of strings would, of course, become you know, a real hallmark of the label's sound. Listen, my friends, while I tell you about a girl that's so divine. I love her for the joy she's brought me. Barry gave me total trust and faith. Yeah. Which was very rare when you're working, you get bosses, and then you got another boss and another boss. I only Mm -hmm. had one guy to deal with. Yeah. Now, telling you now, you know, I come from a place of standards, Mm -hmm. uh, show business approach, you know, play Broadway show sounding, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. After we had a few, as things were moving at Motown, Mm -hmm. I'm saying, man, we got to get some strings in here. Yeah. So Barry said, "Okay, but you know they don't they don't like working with the, with us, you know the R and B sound and thing." I said, "Well, that's my job." Yeah, yeah. So I actually went to the symphony, hmm. and I uh, met some of the players there, mm-hmm. and I asked them would they come to be to play with us at Motown, you know, yeah. play it in the sessions, and they said no. Well. Not only the white ones said no, the black ones said there wasn't too many of them playing strings. Huh, yeah. But they had the nerve to say no, too. <laughs> so so <laughs> I wasn't too happy about that. Yeah. So uh, I said, okay, this is not going to work. Then I found that they had three sections. They had the A, A section, the B section, and the C section. Hmm. So I said, okay, okay, all of them can't be A sections, and all the the, the B, uh, B sections of C can't be bad players. It's about <laughs> politics and who's right. on third and who's keeping. I said, right. so let me go the other way. Right. So I went the other way. I went right. to the ones who weren't working. They just had to come and <laughs> right. sit in the hall and hope they get a chance to play. Right. And I said to a couple of them, I said, okay, man, you want to you make some money? 
because you ain't making no money sitting here. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, what? I said, well, why don't you come over to Motown and uh, do some string work? Uh, I got some no's, and then a couple of them. The guy said, okay, man, but, uh, you know, we could, the union may not like us playing. I said, union ain't got nothing to do with us. <laughs> I said, look, we start doing these things late at night, mm-hmm. and uh, we need some help. Yeah. So bottom line is, I got a couple of guys. One guy to start with. Yeah, yeah. And he came in, and uh, he'd come at night. Yeah, and he worked. He said, "You know, you you gotta. I, I gotta play this five times. Mm-hmm. You need at least three more players." Yeah. I say, "Well, you get them. Yeah, they see you here. <laughs> yeah, and, and the union's not bothering you." Right. So he said, "Okay." So he brought three more B section players right, right. who were very good. You know, sure. it's back to the politics stuff. Right. Right. And then after a while, they say, "Man, you know, you need a cello and a viola and." Uh, and so we started building, building our own out. strain section. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and after we started, things started really happening, the other players who wouldn't speak to me say, we'd like to play. I say, you see that guy right there? <laughs> He's in charge of all strings. Right. You want to you right. you talk to him. <laughs> right, right. Now, was that Gordon Staples? Gordon that was, Staples. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So you kind of deputized him and he... <laughs> He was the only one that understood. <laughs> right, right. You know, I was telling him, I said, man, you got a family, you know. When he started, I said, eventually you'll make a lot of money because yeah. we're going to be hot. Yeah. And sure enough, as you start growing, I mean, he bought a Stradivarius, I think. Wow. And all, wow. you know, I think about $25,000. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Um, in 1961, the Marvelettes debut Motown single, Please Mr. Postman, became the label's first number one hit. And then you teamed up with... Robert Bateman and Brian Holland to write a couple follow-up singles, uh, Twist and Postman and Playboy. Um, but I actually want to ask you about the the next Marvelette single, Beachwood 45789, which you wrote with Marvin Gaye. you first began working and writing songs with Marvin before you know he started having hits on his own as an artist well a very broad Marvin Gaye to me very absorbed his sister's company which mm-hmm. was a record company yeah and Marvin Gaye and one of my favorite people was Harvey Fuqua uh-huh the moon glows the moon glows yeah. he was on they were on that label Barry brought him to me to to get a hit record mm-hmm I said, look, man, this guy's a jazz singer. Huh. What are we going to do with that? It's less than 12, 14% of the market. Yeah. You know, we got enough trouble dealing with what we're dealing with now. <laughs> right. And Barry said, you said you can do anything, right? I said, yeah. He said, okay, I want to hit record on Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> and he said it like with an attitude, you know what I mean? Sure. And he said, let's put $500 on it. I said, no, no. <laughs> Let's put $1,000 on it. <laughs> he said, okay. I said, i get you a hit on Marvin Gaye for $1,000. Right. That was just, we always bet on everything. You know right. what I mean? You know, I was going to do the job. The job is a job, but the bet was a, was a whole other attitude. <laughs> make, it, make it a little more fun. <laughs> make it a little more fun. <laughs> <laughs> so to make that work, I had to know about Marvin Gaye. Mm-hmm. What kind of person am I dealing with here? Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, his voice was one thing. 
which there's no question about his voice. But, you know, where's his heart? Where's his head? Sure. And uh, and dealing with that, I said, I told Marvin, I said, man, I see on some of the stuff that you do, you do a little writing. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah. I said, well, why don't we write some songs together? He said, okay. I said, we get to know each other and sure. share each other out and all that, you know, so yeah. I got to produce you. And uh, and he said, look, man, I'm I'm here to do jazz. I said, no huh. problem with that. Right. You got that. But I want to know more about you if I'm going to do anything. Yeah, sure. So we started working together. So we started writing songs together. Mm-hmm. And he had that he had that, that gift, yeah. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. And uh, that's how we got into different songs. Mm. And in the process of doing that, and he repeating and singing, he had to sing R&B style, gospel yeah. style, not jazz style, as we wrote the songs. All the producers... Had had uh, you know the old one track recorder, two track mm-hmm. recorders in every room. I see. So that you don't lose the thought or whatever. Right. And then sometimes you can edit things together and move mm-hmm. along. Well, that's the game that I played with him. In the meantime, we did the Marvelettes and a few other songs yeah. together with different yeah. people. So you guys were kind of making demos, and at the same time, you're kind of using these demos as a way to coax him into becoming an R and B singer. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And at one point. I pulled the Stubborn Kind of Fella song, which mm-hmm. we will be doing for somebody else, and I clipped all my parts out and taped his together, each verse. Right. So he'd heard a, heard a consistency of two or three verses. Yeah, yeah. And I say, take a look, listen to this, man. And he listen, he say, uh, that's pretty good. And I say, <laughs> that's you, man. Wow. I say, why don't you do a favor for me? Why don't you sing this song? That'll take me off the hook with Barry, and we can get into your 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 jazz album. Right. He said, "Man, let me get this straight. You want me to sing that song, and then you're gonna we're gonna start on my jazz album?" I said, "That's the deal." Yeah. He said, "Okay, William, I, your words, your bond." <laughs> all the musicians, everybody would say that. He dubbed it. We 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 did that song for him. Yeah. Stubborn kind of fella. Right. Which he was a stubborn kind of fella. <laughs> right. <laughs> Apropos. <laughs> so I walked up to Barry when it's finished. With the devil in my hand, I said, "Okay, man, give my money." He said, "What money?" I said, "My thousand dollars." <laughs> but I had the the the, the, the uh, demo in my hand. Right. He wouldn't. He just took the demo and went up to his room. Right. 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 Came back downstairs, reached in his pocket, give me my money. He said, "How'd you do that?" I say, "You don't want to know." <laughs> <laughs> Stubborn Kind of Fella in 1962 became Marvin's first uh, hit single, and you guys followed that up with Hitchhike and then Pride and Joy, which became his first top ten on the pop chart. That's why you are my pride and joy. And I'm telling the world, you're my pride and joy. Pride and joy. I believe I'm your baby boy. Baby boy. And I know you're my pride and joy. Kind of hit that stride. Did did Marvin 
then get into it more? I mean, was he oh, like, yeah. oh, I'm R&B now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he didn't need me no more. No. You know, <laughs> and I would say, hey, man, what about that jazz album you want to do? He said, William R., leave me alone, man. Leave me alone. <laughs> well, I'm going to do the jazz album. <laughs> <laughs> but now there's something else happening. Now, yeah, something else going on. <laughs> well, what happened was after we did the first one, the, the sales department come to me and said, okay, where's the next record? Yeah. I said, next record? They said, man, look. The jocks are playing this record. They like this guy. We need the second record. So yeah. would you get busy? So now I got to go. We had a meeting every week, you know, sure. A&R meeting. Yeah. And Barry said, okay, William R., you got to come up with another record on Marvin Gaye. I said, look, man, you have no idea what it took to get that first one. He said, well, whatever it took, you better use that method again. <laughs> no resting on your laurels, right? Where's right. the next one? Where's the next one? <laughs> um, well, 1964, Marvin and uh, Mary Wells had a two-sided hit single with your songs, Once Upon a Time and What's the Matter with You, Baby. But it was a, a different song you wrote with Marvin that became the true classic of that era. Um, of course, I'm talking about Dancing in the Street, which you guys wrote with Ivy Joe Hunter and which was a massive success for Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. auditioning maybe 20, 25 people every week. Impossible. Wow. Nonstop. Nonstop. Yeah. And uh, Martha would show up all the time. Right. She was determined mm -hmm. to be an artist on Motown. Yeah. My secretary was going to leave Detroit with her husband and go someplace else So with, with his job. So she was, in her way, fixing me up with someone that would take her position. Right. I walk in my office, and there's Martha on my telephone. I'm talking about big time, too. Well, blah, 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 just right. a moment. And I said, Martha, what are you doing? Before I can finish talking, she handed me about four or five call slips people had called. Right. And while still talking, forget about what I was talking <laughs> right. I'm pissed off because she's on my phone. <laughs> right. But I started reading the stuff, and then I heard her say, just a minute, so and so and so and so. She hung up on that guy. She said, before you say anything, this person called, you say it's very important, and uh, and it was. I right. said, well, get him on the phone. So she called. We worked everything out. Right. And it dawned on me that she did a good job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, you know what, Martha? I'm not going to sign you as an artist right now, but i tell you what I will do. I'll give you a job as my secretary because, you know, you know, uh, Dorothy's leaving. Obviously, you know Dorothy's leaving, or you wouldn't be in here on my desk. <laughs> right, right. And she says, oh, no, no, Mickey Stevenson. I can't be nobody's secretary. I'll be your assistant. <laughs> You're like, all right, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> that's, what I, that's exactly what I said. All right, you be an assistant. You know. Right, right. And that's how we started, see. So how'd she wind up ultimately convincing you that she was an artist? Well, I knew she could sing now yeah. because yeah. I saw her sing in a club. That's where I first mentioned to her mm -hmm. to come by and see me. Yeah. Uh, my deal with her as, as an assistant, as she calls it, was that I stay late. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm what people call a workaholic. But when you do, and for all writers, when you do 
what you love to do, it's no longer work. Right. It's only work by the people that's looking at you. Right, right. It's a joy for you to do it. Yeah. And you want all the time you can. I just mm-hmm. thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> right, right. If it's your passion. Yeah. Yep, yeah. yep. When you do what you love doing, yeah. it's not called, considered a job. Right, right. Anyway, I said, look, Martha, I'll be around here till maybe 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. She said, well, I'm going to leave when you leave. I said, I'm not paying you no overtime money. I hope you're not. <laughs> she said, Mickey Stevenson, when you leave, that's when I'm leaving. Right. Forget about the overtime and all that. Yeah. So I said to myself, boy, she's de- really determined. Okay. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, we, she'd come in in the morning, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning, and, you know, do a thing and all that. I'd be there, and I'd, you know, 7, 8 o'clock, I'd be still there. And mm-hmm. she'd say, you want a sandwich when we get you something? I said, no, no, no. And we, and now, in doing that, as we were, we were writing, and we needed to make a demo, make demos, we called Martha. I said, Martha, come here. Let's do this right quick. So that's that was happening constantly. So she was hitting on everybody's songs. <laughs> right. She knew them before they would get to them. Right. When it came down to dancing in the street, that was for Kim Weston, that mm-hmm. song. So I said, okay, what I'll do is make a demo with Martha. Right. And she couldn't hear it. Yeah. And uh, so I hollered upstairs, Martha! <laughs> come on down. I said, <laughs> right. okay, here's the paper. We want you to sing this right here. Martha took that paper, went over for went her own head for a minute. Then she went out and said, okay, let's do it. Yeah. We hit the button. Well, the bottom line, when she finished singing, she went and made two passes. Yeah. On well, the second pass, Marvin Gaye looked at me. Ivy Joe looked at me. <laughs> Did you hear what I, what I heard? <laughs> I said, yeah. Did you hear that? We all agreed that this is it. <laughs> right. It is what it is, really. Right. And Ivy Joe who made a deal with me that he would not cut his hair or comb it till he had a top 10 record. Right. <laughs> so you can imagine what he looked like after about seven, eight months. <laughs> he looked at me and said, I can get a haircut, William R. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> um, you know, Motown was was not known as a particularly political organization during the the civil rights era, but critics have kind of made a lot of dancing in the street and saying it was a coded message about some of the demonstrations and things that were happening in the streets of some of America's biggest cities in the '60s. Um, and I've always kind of wondered: was that song? Was there any intended political message, or was it just a song, literally about dancing in the street? Uh, it was a political message, but not in that order. Hmm. It was a message that kids have no color. Mm-hmm. They are kids. Right. Colors and prejudiced thoughts have to be planted in their heads. Right. At Detroit at that time, they, we could take the screw off the fire hydrant and the water would come out and just go all over the street. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if you had two of those things going, you had yourself a real shower running. Yeah. The kids would come out there and play of every race, creed, and color in mm-hmm. their shorts and stuff and have a great time. Yeah, yeah. So the song is about people being people. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you are. Yeah. And if you could stick with that, we'd have more joy Mm. and more respect and love for one another. Yeah, yeah. That's what it was all about. Yeah. So it is a message song, but not necessarily the message that some people 
wanted to just like they take everything else the wrong way <laughs> right. no yeah. but if you listen to the lyric calling out around the world like you know, yeah you know every boy girl every boy every girl that means every not right. this black one this white one yeah. it means every right it's a unity song yes yeah yeah um there's something about the sound of that record. I mean, Dancing in the Street, if it comes on the radio today, I'm going to roll down the windows and turn, you know, it just, it feels good and it feels as relevant and, and it's just one of those great records that has withstood the test of time. And I I read that Ivy Hunter actually banged a, a crowbar on a concrete floor as part of the percussion in that song. Was that, I mean, oh, was yeah. it was oh, yeah. it common for you guys oh, yeah. to oh, just oh, kind of do... He was banging, and I was singing the background. If you oh, yeah? listen to the background, right. I'm singing one of the notes in the back. Right. Oh, yeah, we always jumped in to make it work. Whatever it took to make a thing work, that's what we would do. Right. right. I mean, you know, we had, I had boards on the floor where you could clap, clap. So you're clapping all the time. I'm doing, somebody doing this on the on the, on right. a, on a two-by-four thing, <laughs> and somebody doing this, and so the clap right. had some soul to it. Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was that. was, that was, I, that was I think it's so cool, just the stories of some of the things they got used as percussion instruments at Motown. <laughs> you know, these things that somebody just thinks of in the moment, and then suddenly oh, yeah. it's oh, yeah. immortalized, it. you know, it's a classic sound. We do anything <laughs> that'll make it, to give it the right sound, and EQ it so it have some feeling to it. <laughs> right, right. But that was part of our, part of our um, history, mm-hmm. is that we all work together. Right. I mean, there was no color barrier, no... Uh, none of that stuff. Yeah, a real community. All communities work together. Yeah. And I tell everybody, and, and and every time he said, well how, well, how did that come about? I mean, how did it come about? I said to them, that was God's work hmm. from my point of view. It yeah. was all pre- uh, ordained to be this way. Yeah. And we were just the ones making it happen. Mm-hmm. So therefore, that love was already planted, so it was yeah. okay for you, me to come over to your house and have some lunch, right, and right. you come in my house and have some chitlins, right. and I go over there, and <laughs> you want some fried chicken. You never had a fried like this, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, you know right. what I mean? So, uh, right, that, was, right. that was just a natural. Yeah. We have natural things going constantly hmm. with love, man. Yeah, well, right. that's amazing. Um, well, you and Ivy Hunter really hit a streak for a while with hits like uh, Wild One from Arthur and the Vandellas, Can You Jerk Like Me by The Contours, Ask the Lonely for The Four Tops, I'll Keep Holding On, and My Baby Loves Me by The Marvelettes. So obviously he was getting a lot of haircuts by this point. He was looking good. Man. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously you guys collaborated together a, a good bit in that era. Um, talk a bit about how you guys operated as as co-writers and, and producers and, and why you think that partnership, you know, really worked so well. Well, the same with Holland Dozier Holland and, and uh, different people. You know, once you hit a m- match with someone, mm-hmm. he, I, I know what you're going to do before before you do it. In other words, I can feel where you're going right. and I could follow that trend and, mm-hmm. and you could do the same thing with me. And, it's, and, and what happens is it's nonstop. Yeah, yeah. We could be riding someplace and an idea come up. We'll pull over and start writing. Right. You know right. what I mean? We're yeah. going to get a lunch or something. Yeah. Or somebody say something stupid in a restaurant and say, oh, <laughs> man, that could be a song. You know what I mean? We yeah. get into it. First of all, you cannot make a writer a writer. Yeah. Writing is a gift. Hmm. Singing is a gift. Right. You can develop it better and make sure. it greater. But the gift is is a gift from God, yeah, period. Yeah. I don't care what it is. Yeah. Great doctors, those are gifts. Other than that, every doctor would be great. That's right. not true. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? That spark has to be there. Got to be yeah. there. Now, you, something in you got to want to develop that. Mm-hmm. And if you find someone else feeling the same way, 
man, that's a mountain you can. Right. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Unstoppable can, force. Unstoppable yeah. force. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, in your book, The A&R Man, you talk about having kind of a, a songwriters and producers speech that you would, you know, give to, to people at Motown to emphasize the importance of exactly what you're talking about, about that collaboration type of thing. Um, what, what was kind of the basic gist of your pep talk that you would want to really communicate to, to the people there at Motown? I would, I would give it to artists, writers, musicians, whatever. If this is going to be your way of making a living, you get eight hours of sleep, eight hours of work. Now, what are you doing with the other eight? Mm-hmm. If you don't spend four or five of those on the craft and the talent or whatever you're about you, that you want, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I don't care what your name is and what you're trying to do. Hmm. Now, if you spend four or five hours, you're going to get some results. Yeah. But if you spend eight, nine, and ten hours, hmm. ah, nobody can stop you. Yeah. When the artists are rehearsing, yeah. I say, how long you rehearse? Man, I, I, rehe- I rehearse for a while. I say, what kind of while are you talking about? <laughs> I put an hour. Let me get this straight. You're going on a show. They're going to pay you fifteen, twenty thousand dollars uh every half hour, but you're going to rehearse for maybe an hour. <laughs> right. What do you think is going to happen later? The next person that's come behind you going to wear your ass out. Right. Because right. they're going to have it down. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to spend hours on it, take a break, get up, and hit it again. Mm-hmm. You out on the phone with some girl or some guy, depending on who I'm talking with, yeah. and you got a problem with your cousin or your brother or your sister or your friend, mm-hmm. and you dialing and y'all talking back and forth, where's the rehearsal time? Where's the development time on your craft? Yeah. And yeah. you say, huh? I swear <laughs> that's how you're going to end up, with a huh. Yeah, yeah. You got to have that focus, that dedication. Yeah. People want it. They want the results, but they don't want to put in the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that we've heard a little bit about from talking with like Lamont Dozier and, and Smokey Robinson is the the weekly quality control meetings at Motown. Um, talk about how those meetings functioned and what kind of impact that had on everybody as they're all excelling at the craft. And, and you know, what... What sort of environment did those meetings create that, as a songwriter, was beneficial? Well, everybody was was not in the meeting. The meeting was with, you know, the sales department, the marketing department, the mm-hmm. photo department, and that sort of thing. Right. Now, Smokey, Holland, Doge, and I, we were, of course, we were there. Yeah. Uh, but the meetings were, which, what next record is coming out? Mm-hmm. Why is that the next record? Do you have anything better? And what's the one that's going to follow that? Hmm. See? So, and by the way, we bet on everything. <laughs> we bet 500 to bet on every, on every deal. Right. This is the next record. Why? Because that, well, what about the other record? Well, that's okay. Okay, these are the main two. Which one you see? I say this one yeah. on the four tops. He'd say that one. Okay, how much? <laughs> now right. we got to find out which one. How do we prove it? <laughs> right. We'll either bring in an audience. We'll either get some kids in the studio the following day, right. listening to about four or five records and slip these two in, <laughs> right. and then ask which ones you like. But we had all kind of methods of checking it out. Right. Sometimes in the quality control room, we'd make a decision yeah. because there was enough of us, of, of us there to, to say, this one is better. Yeah. This one is better, but we need to redub the vocal. Mm-hmm. This song should be on the contours, not the so-and-so. Right, right. Now, that's so the producers get called in and say, okay, Give me both of them. Yeah. 
my line was this. Do whatever new approach we need to hear. Mm-hmm. Now, let's play both of them or all three of them. Yeah. The best one is going to stick up like a sore thumb. Hmm. Sometimes we ended up with the original. Yeah, yeah. But if you never work with it mm-hmm. to see, yeah, you never know. Right. Another thing comes out of that. If you go back to try something else with it, you might find something else and say, okay, keep this, but I got a whole new idea to go right, this way. Right, right. So you had to be pretty objective about your own work. Yes. You know, and not let your ego get too in the mix if you really want to yes. listen to other people's input and create the best possible yes. product. Some some writers had to learn that. Yeah. My job was either teach it to you or do it whether you like it or not. <laughs> right. You know, in other words, if you say, man, I like it just like this, I say, well, I appreciate what you like. Now, here's what you're going to do. <laughs> right. You're going to go do it again, and you're going to put Levi on that song. You got yeah. that straight? Yeah. Now, if you give me too much dialogue and you don't do it, I'll have somebody else do it. Yeah. But when you come with your next record to get in the studio, I get real busy. You say, man, I haven't <laughs> been in the studio in a week. Oh, you haven't? Oh, I don't know. You call me next week. I'll let you know, don't ever do that again. Right, <laughs> right. Not yeah. by telling you, I just put you right. off. Right, <laughs> right, right. Next time I say, hey, man, why don't you try uh, uh, the contours on that song? You'll say, okay, man, when can I get in? <laughs> right, right. You'll learn, you'll learn the lesson one way or the other. Um, well, in 1965, you co-wrote Nothing's Too Good For My Baby with Henry Cosby and Sylvia Moy, and that became a, a top five R&B hit and top 20 pop hit for Stevie Wonder. <laughs> Also produced his, his follow-up single, Uptight, Everything's Alright, which of course is such a classic. Um, but talk a bit about working with Stevie and and what made him special in those, you know, early days when he was starting out. Well, he had the gift. Mm, yeah. And all we did was nurture the gift. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, you had to put him out the studio. <laughs> right. I mean, not only did he have the gift, you had to put him out because he, once he got into place, he was there for the rest of the day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Learning, absorbing. Stevie was a sponge. All we did was just give him some direction. But Stevie was a natural. I would use Stevie as an example. When people want to come and audition and uh, they would say to me, you know, well, because I, I wouldn't have a piano in my office and all that. They would say, Hey man, I mean, how am I, how am I going to audition? You know, you don't have no piano, and you don't have this. And then I said, "Hang on one second. Hey Stevie, come here. <laughs> sing a song right quick." Right. And he sang. I say, "Now he ain't got no piano. He ain't got no drums. <laughs> right. He ain't got no harmonica. He just come right out and sing." Right. You need all this. He can't even see. So when you can do it like he did it, that's when you come back. Right. Next, I go like that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Well, and what a perfect example of what you're talking about is that you have to have that natural spark. You have there's you can't force that. You know, you're you're born with it or you're not. But then if you got it, 
be like Stevie, be in the studio every minute. You got to work. working at it. Keep, you know, and keep you only get developing better. it. Yeah. Yeah. You only yeah. get better. And those who don't now, I'm telling you, some great artists came through. They had great, incredible voices. Right. But their attitudes and their follow through and their determination, they figure since I have a great voice, then that's all I need. Right. And I would tell them that that's just part of it. Um, in 1966, you produced the Jimmy Ruffin classic, What Becomes of the Brokenhearted. And, you know, you're not credited as a as a songwriter on that song, though you're the producer. And today, the lines between writer, producer, arranger, you know, they're, they're often blurred. And the average hit song today has way more credited writers on it than the average hit song did back in those days. And I'm just curious for you as somebody who was a person who was excelling at songwriting, excelling at producing, excelling at being, you know, an A&R man and, and managing all the studio and the musicians and all that. How did you kind of judge or how did, what was your standard for yourself of figuring out when, okay, my contribution here kind of stops at producer versus now I've put enough in this. I'm a writer on this thing too. I mean, did you kind of have a, a standard of how you judge that? No. Well, uh, as the A&R man, I got a percentage from every song that went out. Mm -hmm. So for me, if if there came a, a, a separation or an, a, a dispute about how much I get as a writer or whatever, whatever, mm -hmm. if it's going to make you unhappy and you're one of my best writers, you can have it. Yeah. Bigger picture. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to get a piece of it anyway. <laughs> right. So right. you can have that. Yeah. Not only that, what else can I do for you? Right. <laughs> right. That was my attitude. Yeah. So I never, never dealt with that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, from day one, I didn't say, oh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. And sometimes I might have put in more than you. Mm -hmm. But if that's going to make you happy. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. And then I can say to you, and by the way, I need a song on so-and-so and such-such, such, <laughs> man, and you can really help me out with this. Right. You know, give me another one on Kim Weston again. I'll really, I'll, I'll, I'll get it back ten times more than, and what Broken Heart, it was a good song. Yeah. And I did a lot with it. It didn't matter to me. Yeah. But happiness is just an illusion filled with sand. I didn't write a credit and, and, and producer's credit and all that didn't mean half as much to me as having uh, a hit song going out there and no one to follow and, and mm -hmm. the energy of the, of the writers. Well, and that raises an interesting, you know, question when you talk about songwriting, because as a, as an A&R man, you were auditioning artists, you know, but one of your roles there was also to sign songwriters to Joe Bet Publishing, which yes. is the, the, the publishing arm of, of Motown. Um, how did you make your decisions when, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of great people that come through, but you can't sign them all. No. What were you really looking for as well, for well, songwriters? What was that gift. First of all, I'm looking for the gift. Mm -hmm. You may come in as a singer, mm -hmm. and I'm hearing you sing, and while you're singing, I'm saying to myself, Terrible fucking voice. <laughs> you know right. I mean? But then I said, but that song. I said, hey, who wrote that song? And you see, I wrote it. Oh, you wrote that song? Let me hear another one of these, right? 
Well, now you may think I'm looking for you as a singer. Right. Already, I'm already You're on, on the, the songs. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. By the time you finish the third song, I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll sign you as a songwriter. Yeah. And down the line, you probably do some recording as well. You yeah. get it both ways. Yeah. They would sign. Right. Right. Now, as soon as they do that, say, okay, okay, hey, man, come here. This guy got a song. Put that, get that song to Barbara. Right, right. So Ivy Joe come in as a singer. Mm-hmm. And, and Ivy Joe got a voice now. He can sing. Yeah. And I'm saying, hey, man, did you write that song? Yeah. You got him? We say, I got a bag full of songs, man. Right. Because I want. I got my whole album laid out. Yeah. I never did get around to his album. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. I want those songs. <laughs> right. I developed Ivy Joe as a writer producer. Yeah. 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 You know, you, know, you got a voice, but mm-hmm. your lyrics and your your thoughts. Yeah. Uh, as a producer, you're on the one, brother. It's kind of like being a casting director. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, even though you'd uh, had a minor R&B hit with your co-writer Shorty Long's original version, you had a big old top five pop hit with Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels cover of Devil with a Blue Dress on in Shorty Long, he 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 uh, fashioned himself as a singer, singer. Mm-hmm. But when you watch him sing, he was really comical. Right. So I would tell him, Shorty, you're an entertainer. You're not a singer. Why you say that, man? Why you say that? I say <laughs> because everything you do is animated and it's all right. out there, yeah. and it's funny to watch. And then with your height, and you play off of that too. I said, you are you are an entertainer, and you're a songwriter. Yeah. Well, why you say that? He wanted to be a singer. Singer. Sure. I said, I tell you what, Shorty, we'll do some songs on you, because I see you're not listening to me. <laughs> In the meantime, you're going to be the demo for all the songs we need to send to other people to deal with. Right. <laughs> you're going to be the demo. Right. And I say, no matter. What, I said, I want them to see you. So I would actually have him being recorded, whatever he was doing. Yeah. Because if you watch Shorty Long, his feet could not touch the thing on the piano. You know, the, <laughs> the pedals. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be trying to do that. He was hilarious, but he, but he was, but he was from his heart though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. When Shorty said, said Fee five four hits, she come. You know. Devil with the blue, he meant every word of that. Yeah. Now I'm writing as a as a as a song song, but yeah. he was writing. He could see that woman coming down there for that hot dress hole. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Devil with the blue dress on. Fee fee five five four four palmer, a looking down the street across and here she comes. When a wind can shake. Mitch Ryder was kind of more able to sell it as a as a record. <laughs> as, as a record, right. <laughs> right. Um, 
Well, another one of your classics is Marvin Gaye and Kim Weston's recording of It Takes Two, which you co-wrote with Sylvia Moy. understand that you had actually left Motown by the time that song had Take really out. become a big hit. Um, talk a bit about why you departed the company and kind of the experience of having this big hit with a company you just left. <laughs> well, I felt that I had reached my my limit. Mm-hmm. I would At that point, I was just repeating over and over. I wasn't growing. It became a job. Mm. Yeah. Before it was not a job. It was just, you know, loved every minute of it. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I told Barry, I said, listen, man, you know, we got to do some, let's do some Broadway shows and let's go into a whole nother place. Let's, you know, let's stretch out. Yeah. Because I say, this is going to hit a wall. Yeah, sure. And uh, movies and stuff. Let's, yeah. Let's, let's, let's move. And so he, uh, he said, well, Eddie Holland's going to be the NR, man. I said, okay, great. Not a good move, but hmm. great. He said, why? I said, because he's an introvert. Yeah. And this is not an introvert job. You yeah. got to be with everybody. It's a people job. Yeah. yeah. Whole yeah. Another bo- great talent, you man. I'm not arguing about the talent of Eddie Holland. Yeah. But that ain't what he. That's not. That's not him. Yeah. He can walk through the come in the office and walk straight to the room and never say hello to nobody. Just go and do something. It don't work like that. Right. And. Uh, I said, but it's your company, so, you know. He yeah. said, well, you give him a hand. I said, all you got to do is call me. I tell him whatever, what the next move should be. Right. You know, I, I'm still part of this company. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, this is my family. Right. So, yeah. got no problem with that ever. You notice I never had lawsuits and none of that stuff with Motown mm-hmm. about nothing. Right. If, we, me, if me and Barry had a, a dispute, we sit down and talk about it. Yeah, it out. work it out. I yeah. may say, well, forget it, man. I'd rather not deal with it if it's going to be, you know, we, we got it. We built a thing here that the world is looking at. Yeah. So we can't tear it apart from the inside. That don't work. Yeah. God gave us this gift. Yeah. We, this happened during wars and assassinations and prejudice fighting and all that stuff. And we are building music and bringing people together. Yeah. That, that's not by luck. Hmm. It's, it was meant to be. It meant to be. It was an ordained thing. Yeah. We broke through places where big companies w- wouldn't dare move. Out of Detroit, where they make cars, not music. Right. Um, well, in 1974, Johnny Nash had a, a top 40 R&B hit with Loving You, which is a song that, that is credited to you solo. Oh, it's from loving you. Can't stop loving you. Positive, but I think that might be your only charting Billboard single that's just credited to you solo without any co-writers. Um, Maybe. Did, I have did, no idea. Did you write solo very often, or did you typically prefer? I always look for people. Yeah. I always, I, mean, I did some solo stuff, but I don't, 
I think I did it with me with the Righteous Brothers. I'm mean, gonna did some solos with them. Oh okay. yeah, that's right. I did two. I mean, in fact, I had both songs, both sides yeah, of the record. Yeah, two sided. Uh, yeah, right. that was on Verve, I think. Verve, right? Yeah, were, yeah. yeah. Uh, I might have done that, but I, I never really think about it like that. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the fun of it. Yeah, the energy. It, the energy and you. And and it's always new. Yeah. When you, if me and like I say, if y'all, you come up with a line or something right here, mm-hmm. let, let's do it. Right, right. You know what I mean? Bouncing off. Yeah. Because yeah. if you come up with that, you got other things. Now, why should I go over here and write this whole thing when all I got to do is deal with you and, <laughs> right. and <laughs> right. build off each other? And yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um, you ultimately became very active in, in writing and producing plays and musical theater. Um, in what ways is that kind of writing? similar to and different from, you know, writing pop songs? Well, I don't see a difference. Uh, but what I see is I can stretch out more. Hmm. I learn to direct uh, plays, you know, right. and, 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 and I won't even do that by myself hmm. because I've seen directors that say, man, I want some of that in my show. And I would actually go to the director and say, man, when you finish, would you work with me or do this right. piece? And they would say, Mickey Stevenson, I may be glad to work with you, blah, 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 blah. You know, you're doing the musicals. And, and I'm, I'm shocked to hear that because <laughs> I'm looking for help from right. them. And they're saying <laughs> right. it would be joy to work with me. Right. So they, I'm, I'm, I'm flying high on energy. And the songs, after going through the Motown stuff, and which was phenomenal, I know that when the man upstairs says, I got you to do something. Right. <laughs> it's gonna happen. Right. You know what I mean? Right. right. Well, it is just inspiring to see the spark and the excitement and the creativity as strong with you now as it was in nineteen sixty one. And you know, just obviously you have the true heart of a writer and a creative person and it's it's just cool for me to get to sit here and soak up some of that. So <laughs> oh, that's great, thank man. you for uh for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Well, I love talking with you, and I hope some people get something out of this because that's part of what we're here for. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I know they will. Yeah. All right, my brother. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please take a moment now to subscribe to Songcraft in your podcast app of choice and sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com. As a reminder, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Songcraft Show, all one word. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash songcraftshow to find out how you can help support us. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash songcraftshow. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support. <laughs>